Hi there, listeners. I wanted to let you all know that Scott and I recorded separately today, and because of that, the audio seems off. I did my best to try to make it as as quality as possible, but sorry about that. We had to work with the backup recording that we had. Anyway, enjoy the episode, and please stay tuned to the very end of the review so that you can find out your hint. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, your birthday week marches on here, as we are unusually recording another episode a little bit earlier than we normally do. We normally record on Monday or Tuesday evenings, but it's Saturday afternoon while we're catching this recording, Christian. So, how you feeling? You celebrated 25th anniversary of Christian going well? Uh, yeah, pretty relaxing, actually. Not not, not too bad. Not too shabby. There you go. And Christian, in what I like to think was the crown jewel of the experience, you and I got to see a very special movie in theaters yesterday on Friday night here in Los Angeles. For those of you who are not aware, listeners, there is a filmmaker whose name I'm going to butcher, but I'm going to try, and it's Apichapong Wurasathakul. He is uh, he is from Thailand. He has uh, a long name, so my apologies uh, for my ugly Americanness. But he is a, a noted international filmmaker, and his most recent release is called Memoria, and it's had an unusual release strategy where they planned on taking it on the road, only showing it in theaters, basically one theater at a time in perpetuity. They changed that, so now it's still only going to play in theaters, but they'll play in multiple places at once, and now it is currently in Los Angeles, and Christian, because of our proximity, of course, living in this great city, we were able to see it, and I gather you were absolutely floored by it, loved it, were completely, utterly moved, and you're questioning your own conception of the human experience, is is that correct? It was such a waste of time. So mean. I should have taken a nap or done anything else. It is such... Oh, oh, it, it's so boring and makes no sense. The movie makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I am upset that I went to see it. I'm upset I invited other people to see it. I'm upset all around. <laughs> Truly an incredible film-going experience. Uh, yes, I was not familiar with Rastakul's experience, or films before, and he goes by Joe, so I'll just say that um, for us dumb Americans who uh, can't get his pronunciation right. So Joe has made movies uh, like this before. He is often associated with the tradition of slow cinema, so movies that are deliberately slow-paced, do not feature a lot of cuts, feature a lot of long takes, a lot of static camera work, and he also blends in some some from what I've gathered some weird fantasy and sci-fi elements like into it too. Movie? I I it's it's a kind of movie where it's hard to say whether I liked it or disliked it because it's so out of the norm with what I normally watch. I'm still sort of processing. I think if I I would come out like I would recommend people see it. It's an experience to see it in theaters. I. But I've heard mixed things like reading up on after. Seems like fans of his work think there's other movies of his that are more accessible, and this one isn't the best first watch. And then other people said they've hated his other movies and liked this one. So who knows? But if you get the chance to see it, it, you should. No, no, you shouldn't. (laughs) It's a waste of your time. It makes me sad that you think that, Christian, because I think movies are infrequently wastes of time. And I think there's a lot to appreciate here about the filmmaking, at least. Absolutely not. This is, I haven't hated a movie this much since I watched Phantom Thread. (laughs) <laughs> Which another absolute kissing booth banger movies. that you've made it. <laughs> Phantom I Thread, I definitely like. Booth <laughs> oh, my goodness. oh, Christian. Anyways, get on with it. we are not here to discuss Memoria and argue about the merits or demerits of slow cinema. Demerits. 
Well, Christian, you've seen one truly slow cinema film, so let's hold off for now. And I don't want to watch more. That's fair. We are here to talk about something that is maybe perhaps the entire opposite, (laughs) except perhaps maybe a Michael Bay movie. We are here to discuss Liar Liar. Another one of the top 10 box office hits of your birth year, 1997, starring Jim Carrey. So, Christian, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners why you chose this one as part of your birthday month spectacular? Well, we're focusing in on movie stars of the 90s. And I want to say that Jim Carrey, not just because of this movie, but others such as oh, uh, Dumb and Dumber or The Truman Show, people went out to the theaters to see him. And this is his movie that came out this year. Now, it was written by Paul Gray and Stephen Mazur and directed by Tom Shadyak. This is a comedy fantasy film, I believe would be the best term for it. Yeah. Where a, yes. So Jim Carrey plays a a lawyer whose son, he, he is divorced. His son, who stays with his wife most of the time, or his ex-wife most of the time, wishes that for one day his dad wouldn't be able to tell a lie so that they could spend more time together because he lies frequently for his job and in those lies uh, and in basically how ambitious I would it's probably the right word he is to go ahead in his profession misses a lot to do with his family yeah yep it's the, this is the basics it's it's the kind of uh, beautiful high concept movie that couldn't really get made today outside of perhaps a streaming service, but that in 1997 made over $300 million at the global box office. (laughs) Truly incredible that this movie, which isn't even 90 minutes once the credits have rolled, was able to make that much money. It it is an absolute testament to Jim Carrey's star power at the time. And we talked a lot last week about how Will Smith was a star on the rise and Men in Black was the kind of the completion of this process. He made Bad Boys and Independence Day, and then Men in Black was kind of you know, minting him as a movie star. But Jim Carrey was already a known commodity. He had not only made both Ace Ventura movies and The Mask and Dumb and Dumber, but also appeared in Batman Forever. So he had already kind of branched into those massive Hollywood blockbusters. So Liar Liar, in, in some respects, was also a, a minor return to form for him, where the Ace Ventura sequel wasn't received as well as the original, and The Cable Guy, which came after it, was still a box office success, but was not well-reviewed. So Liar Liar was a bit of a uh, return for our guy Jim Carrey. But it yeah, he's really one of the biggest movie stars of the 90s and even going into the 2000s. Have you seen this movie before? I have not seen this movie before, Christian, and I was glad to watch it because Jim Carrey is someone that I remember liking uh, as a kid where I feel like I watched more of his movies when I was growing up and haven't watched as many now, but I mostly love his dramatic stuff that when I watch it, something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where he's just, that's an incredible movie and he's incredible in it, or The Truman Show, same thing, toning down a lot of his normal manic comic energy for a, a dramedy with some satire and some deeper themes in its mind like those are great movies but i haven't seen a lot of his just big loud gonzo comedic performances in a while so i was glad to check out one of the the bigger hits of his from the 90s bigger hits all right i've seen the second half of this movie (laughs) before i like caught it on cable once and only only the ending so i i knew how this movie ended perfect (laughs) you got to catch up with how it how we got there love it with that are you ready for your opening question scott christian i am is there anything else that we want to mention in terms of 
background for this movie first. The, the one thing that I would say is that he was nominated for a Golden Globe for this back when the Golden Globes mattered. So shout out to our guy Jim Carrey. But anything else you wanted to mention there? Look, the Golden Globes mattered. And the only year they haven't mattered is this year. So I mean, back when the Golden Globes mattered last year? <laughs> well, the Golden Globes mattered in an unusual way because they've been so problematic for so long, but they were such a central part of awards season and so getting all the, the stars Oscars. together. So <laughs> The Oscars are also problematic. Yeah, the but... The Choice Awards are also problematic. Critics groups are problematic. Critics There's groups no aren't problematic. What? <laughs> yes, they are. Well, the Golden Globes yeah. are problematic in deeper, different ways, where you could bribe your way to awards, where, at least in the Oscars, you're campaigning for it and making it obvious. <laughs> True. Anyway. All right. Your So your your opening question is this, Scott. Jim Carrey, very much so the lead figure, and if someone were to go see this movie in 1997, the main draw would be him. As the man on whom basically the whole film rests on, does Jim Carrey raise to that standard? I am going to be honest, Christian, this movie is probably trash if he's not in it. <laughs> and if he doesn't bring his specific manic energy to some of these scenes, it's just a much less interesting movie. And I will belie it's my... Like a lifetime movie. <laughs> yes, it really is. It's a, it's a cheesy concept that could have been mishandled in the wrong hands. And I will say, if, if I can belie my ultimate feelings on this movie i wasn't the biggest fan uh, although i did not, it's not great. i didn't dislike this movie it is not that good yeah or, or honestly this movie's not good yeah but but what he is able to do in the role and the kind of bringing his energy to some of these scenes and, and there's multiple moments where it's just him on screen there are no other characters interacting with him and you're still laughing so if it had been anybody else i just don't think this movie works and having jim carrey at the center like as a star vehicle absolutely works i, I don't know if the whole movie works around him and there are certainly moments where his shtick grates on me but I, I think as a star vehicle for him, outside of, you know, getting that award, the award nominations and the massive box office success, the movie still ages decently because of that. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm going to I'm going to go into that. I don't really think Jim Carrey is working too hard, like is working that much for me. I'm not the biggest fan of what I'm seeing. He has this eccentric uh looks like he just took very very many drugs type of comedy yeah and um i i kind of need him to slow down the but the paradox is if he slows down the entire movie falls apart and is the most boring thing ever i know and it's unusual to think about just jim carrey in this movie like the actor and the script matching because he's playing a like a pathologically pathologically lying lawyer in this movie which is so out of character for him because not that he's like a bad He's played, you know, bad characters before, but in Dumb and Dumber, he's a he's a dope. In Batman Forever, he's the Riddler. <laughs> in Ace Ventura, he's a wacky pet detective veterinarian. Like, I haven't seen this movie, so I, I don't exactly know. But this character is so much more straight-laced, and that's part of the problem, where there's this tension just between the concept <laughs> and what's put on screen, where having a lawyer who lies a lot is believable, but Jim Carrey as a lawyer is almost past the point of no return. <laughs> in terms of believability when it's matched with this kind of sensibility obviously he has played dramatic roles and done it well but <laughs> it's such a tension especially since everyone around him is like cheering him on and totally normal for the most part <laughs> and they're like oh yeah no my lawyer is just 
a, a little out of the ordinary, but he's fine. No, this man should be arrested. <laughs> or slapped multiple times. <laughs> you, you, do, oh. you do wonder why and how <laughs> Maura Tierney ended up with him. And she's playing his wife, who we should say is named Audrey. So Maura Tierney, great actress. But what does she ever see in this guy? Not only is he a pathological liar who will do anything to get to the top, but he's also... <laughs> complete goofball can't be serious for more than a minute at a time (laughs) like i just don't understand how they got together in the first place and let's he's playing a pathological liar who's being forced to tell the truth let's get into let's get into the rules of this fantasy world right i will say i love this concept it's the kind of thing that made a 300 million dollar blockbuster as much as it could have made a disney channel original movie it's it's just great as concepts go it's great except for the fact i think that the filmmakers forgot about the concept (laughs) because he 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 okay i i don't know what the rules are because it's not just that he can't lie right vocally he also can't lie in a written way he can't avoid a question and i understand those except that when he tells the truth this man's a dick yeah (laughs) it's it's like it's not just a normal curse. It's that he has to swing the complete opposite direction. He can't respond politely. So, for example, there there's a scene where it, one of his the partners at this law firm where he works at seduces him, basically. And this is yet another thing that causes him to miss a family event and disappoints his his wife and son. And after they finish their lovemaking, she looks at him and asks how it was for him. And it's right at this moment that the curse has kicked into the place. His son has made his birthday wish, which great way of placing a hex upon someone and carrie looks over at this associate of his and said basically i've had better (laughs) which like is the first indication to him that there's something going on he's he obviously would not have said that in his normal frame of mind but you do wonder why he couldn't have just said like nothing yeah couldn't have said nothing (laughs) but if he i you know he, he was forced to respond he's forced to tell the truth anytime somebody asks him a question which is yeah it's it's not quite what the what his son who we should mention at this point his son is max and it's played by an actor named justin cooper so max's wish gets him into this situation where it's not just that he can't lie he also is forced to tell the truth but it, he also doesn't i don't know is it that he doesn't understand sarcasm because the the curse works in a weird way where someone asks him how's it hanging and <laughs> that's his, right someone asks him how's it hanging and he's like short shriveled and to the left which is uh yeah one of those moments which is where... not what the person meant no not but, at all but that's what we got yeah, the the concept is a little confusing at times and I do like a lot of the ways that they <laughs> that they bring it into the plot it does it gives a lot of laughs where he's forced into these uncomfortable situations where these people that he's been constantly lying to he now is forced to tell the truth to like and there's a great scene later on in this movie where the partner who he slept with is still mad at him for putting down her sexual abilities and so she brings him into a meeting with the head honchos of the law firm and the other partners because they're discussing who's who's up for a promotion to make partner at this law firm and she forces him to say how he feels about the boss and he says that he thinks the boss is a blowhard and a jerk and whatever and this guy starts cracking up because he thinks it's a roast and so he's like oh i love a guy who's not afraid of uh, you know of the boss like do him do him and there's this great scene where carrie's like 
going crazy because he's forced into telling the truth, but he's getting to roast all of the people in the room and they're all cracking up with him. And it's that kind of scene that's really funny in terms of all the roasts that he gives these people and totally works in the context of the movie. But there are, there are so many other scenes that either don't work because he's forced into telling the truth in an uncomfortable way, as opposed to just not lying or where they don't actually use the conceit, which is forcing him to avoid lying. They, other things happen. So I don't know. Were there any other scenes that worked for you, Christian? Just like the one I was describing that worked. Um, when I, okay. I kind of liked the pen, so he's trying to write down to test the waters. This pen is red when he's writing with the blue pen. And his hand won't let him do it. And instead, his hand, like, attacks him and writes all over his body, this pen is blue. And I go, okay, that's that's kind of, that's cute, I guess. <laughs> and that's one of those scenes, too, where the the essence of Jim Carrey really comes through because he is such a gifted screen actor where he knows how to act in front of a camera even if his typical shtick in comedies like this is to go so over the top so off the wall crazy it makes for entertaining movie acting and and because he's just so funny as he's flinging his body around trying to control this pen and he's still in control of course as an actor when he turns the pen on himself but He's obviously frightened. <laughs> and it, of course, then writes on himself, blue, 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 blue. And it's those kinds of scenes where he's just owning the screen with nobody else even in the room that I think makes this worth watching. It's to celebrate his movie stardom at the very least. But, okay, let's, you know what? His movie stardom, sure. I'm going to bring up one last thing about this curse. It's made from a birthday wish, but... Uh, <laughs> The rules of it don't make sense. No. And you know what I want want to know? At the end, at the very end of this movie, when the kid asked for rollerblades, did he get rollerblades? Because if not, this movie's a sham. <laughs> if this kid's other... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to. I want the expanded universe where Max goes through life making birthday wishes and realizing that all of them come true. <laughs> so he like gets to be in his forties and he's in a some kind of loveless marriage and his kids hate him and is not getting promoted his job. What kind of birthday wishes he making there? He's got all this tension building up to it. <laughs> maybe maybe he gets an illness. He's like he's like his life's on the line. His birthday's a couple months away. He's got to like hold it out until he can wish it away. <laughs> He wishes that for one day, just one day, his family wouldn't be there. <laughs> it's true. They don't really explore that side of it. And of course, and it, frankly, this is a worse movie if we get into the nuts and the bolts of why Max's birthday wish comes true. Let's look into what makes this a worse movie. No one in this movie, except for maybe Max, is likable. <laughs> no one? No, no, no. no. What, what's your, Greta? Greta's great. <laughs> Greta is great. Greta, played by Anne Haney, is uh, is Jim Carrey's. We should say he's, he plays Fletcher Reed. We haven't even mentioned that. So Fletcher's assistant and secretary. She's great. But no one else here. Like, it, I'm, and I'm not going to be an idiot and say that they're not on Jim Carrey's wavelength. I mean, I don't know. Rockets aren't on Jim Carrey's wavelength. No one knows what his wavelength is. But they're they're so overshadowed by him that. When there's a scene, and there aren't that many of them, but when there are scenes he's not there, this movie's so flat. It does, yeah, it does struggle when he is not 
on screen just because some of the other drama outside of it isn't as interesting. And for example, the family drama that he's faced with is that Audrey has a new boyfriend named Jerry, played by Carrie Elways, doing a terrible American accent. <laughs> I wish that Carrie Elways would just be British. And Jerry is moving to Boston and he's asking her and Max to move with him because obviously Fletcher is not interested in caring for the family. He's always missing events and lying. And so she's Audrey trying to figure out if she's going to move Max and go be with Jerry. And there are a few scenes with the two of them that there is just very little energy coming off the screen. And it's no real knocks against Maura Tierney, who, again, is an actress that I like, and Carrie Elways, who's an actor that I like. But you can sort of feel that he is being pressed into a box because he's supposed to be kind of the anti-Fletcher, where he's responsible, he's sweet, he's available. But I think it's that... American accent forced on him too is it just shrivels up what Carrie Elways can normally bring to the screen there's not really any charm to him and that's and often where he's so good in something like The Princess Bride you know and so I'm with you in that when Fletcher is not on screen the movie is just not nearly as strong and thankfully that's not too many scenes but I do see what you mean because look as as and I'm not trying to say that Lifetime makes bad movies but Lifetime is all about melodrama and when these characters aren't on screen, they're just doing a, a basically straight-faced, non-melodramatic melodrama. Right. And, and and it's not interesting to watch, really. So you need Jim Carrey to be on screen at all times, but he's also overdoing it to to ridiculous extents. It it it's a lot. Um, but I mean, let's you know well, let's let's unpack that, Christian, because obviously. This is what Jim Carrey is known for as a comedic actor. It's this specific, over-the-top acting style. And I want to ask, are there movies of his, comedies of his, where you like this? Or do you think you're just out on Jim Carrey? The Truman Show. But he, I, Have you seen Yeah, absolutely agree. I think The Truman Show is great. But even that, he's modulating it down a little bit. Because there, it's more of a dramedy than a straight comedy. But everyone else around him is also acting ridiculous because of the premise of the show. Right. So it's almost like the premise elevates itself to Jim Carrey's stature, if if that makes sense. Sure. And I think I was just mostly getting at, have you seen other Jim Carrey comedies where he's doing the overacting thing that you enjoy? And for me, I know one is The Grinch that's like his version of The Grinch, which some people truly despise, but I think is really fun. And part of that is him being hilarious in that movie. So I don't, and I haven't seen some of these other classics. Like I don't think I've ever seen the Ace Ventura movies, for example. I haven't seen The Cable Guy. I like Dumb and Dumber, but. I like, okay. I like Bruce Almighty. I, I I won't lie. And honestly, I... Okay, look, I did not like... I very much did not like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I'm... I'm. Let me just put that out there. Forgot about Jim Carrey's most recent liking, screen adventure. <laughs> yeah, I did like Bruce Almighty, and I also liked The Mask. I At least I remember liking The Mask. It's been a while. So when, when the... When the premise rises to his level, I think it works. But when it doesn't, it's, it, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't just have the entire movie hinge on how ridiculous he is. 
I I think that's fair, and and this there is some serious tension between the premise of this movie and Jim Carrey's acting style, where in some respects it's a a good concept, and he is able to elevate it with his specific manic acting style, but it's also just something that you wonder how much like did this concept have legs <laughs> anyway, uh, were it to not be made for a Disney Channel or some other kind of direct to TV type of movie um i do want to ask christian i think that liar liar is also trying in some ways to have to have somewhat of an emotional center there's a little bit of heart and they're trying to sort of teach lessons and it's not just that fletcher as he's forced to tell the truth gets into these zany situations where he has to stop lying to his co-workers about how he dislikes them or he writes all over himself in pen but we also start to see that he is sort of learning about himself and what he truly values when he's forced to tell the truth. Because he does have this moment later on in the movie after he's let his family down time and time again throughout this this whole 80-minute runtime where he realizes how much he truly loves his son. And you never doubt that he loves his son. It's just that he uh, he doesn't make sacrifices to be there for him. But... He has this moment where he connects with Greta, his secretary, and he talks about how much he truly loves Max. And it dawns on him that he's only able to tell the truth, and he's screaming to the world how much he loves Max. He loves his son and wants to take care of him. And there is, I think, an attempt at making a sort of point that when we are able to stop lying to ourselves and we're able to to tell the truth, we can learn new things about ourselves and even good things about ourselves when we're able to cut through the BS and try to live by the truth live by goodness as opposed to you know what's wrong so am i i mean am i searching too much christian or or did you pick up on that at all did you have any thoughts on that it's it's there it's definitely there is it there to an extent which of which i care about not not a ton although i i will say i thought the courtroom scene was kind of enjoyable and not not just because man is it so it's it's so stupid <laughs> oh my good i mean when, when he starts interrogating his witness and what his witness is going to do is lie so he knows he can't ask them questions if he knows the answer is going to be a lie right <laughs> so he basically interrogates them into telling the truth which makes his case harder to win <laughs> Yeah, and we should say he, he part of the problem for him, of course, is outside of disappointing his family, he gets wrapped up into this court case defending a woman who has cheated on her husband and broken their pre prenup agreement. And so instead of taking what the settlement that he offered her with the divorce, she would get, you know, X amount of dollars. She is trying to sue him for half of everything. And Fletcher gets the case because he's willing to lie in court and it thinks that it'll make him partner because they'll get a, you know, part of the payment from her winning it. And of course this all happens on the day he has to go to court and is forced to tell the truth. And so (laughs) he cannot stick to the strategy and he is forced to out these lies that they all prepared. Okay. So he's in a cutthroat law firm. We're supposed to think, right? Because his supervisor, she uh, is kind of out to get him after he says that he's had better sex than her. Right. How is it that the people in this movie so easily believe his curse? So his supervisor, like, listens or eavesdrop on, eavesdrops on him through the door. He says he is incapable of lying. And she t- is like, oh, man, if this guy can't lie, I can get him. 
what? That's one of those things that you just kind of sort of got to suspend your disbelief because she also asks him, what do you think of the boss? And instead of saying something like schmoozy, where he's like, I want to be just like him someday. He's a real swell guy. He, she gets him to say that he's a blowhard. He's an a-hole. He's this, he's that. And she realizes that something is off. And so that and maybe they don't have a full understanding of what's going on, but she still tries to use it to her advantage. But that's, oh man, did, did the resolution work for you? I will say my perhaps least favorite part of the movie is the ending. So obviously there's not too much to spoil here, folks. Even if you haven't seen this movie and you're planning on watching it, it's the ending to a comedy. There's no real plot twists or anything that we're going to spoil for you. But if you don't want to hear what happens, feel free to pause and move on. Regardless, of course, Audrey decides to take Max and move to Boston with Jerry. And so they go to the airport. Fletcher missed his chance. And he has this realization that he loves his son and wants to be there for him and doesn't want them to move. And so he tries to catch them at the airport, but he is late and their plane has already taken off. So he manages to sneak onto the runway, hijacks a stair truck, drives it up to the plane and is able to like... He causes chaos and gets them to stop the plane because obviously there's a crazy man on the runway. And I really did not like the way that they chose to end this movie. It felt like they were grasping for some kind of big set piece when this movie didn't really call for it. And it was totally divorced from the central conceit of the movie, which is that he is forced to telling the truth. And I, I understand that they still bring it in at the end of the movie where he realizes he's talking about how much he cares for his son and wants to do better. And it's after the curse has worn off. So he's really telling the truth. He's not lying. But I ending just didn't work for me. And I wish that they had found a better way to bring things to a resolution without getting onto the, the runway uh, at the airport. What did you think? I thought the ending was not great. And this is why. Because when he ends the courtroom scene, and he wins, he wins this legal battle by telling the truth. And at the end, he starts yelling to the point where they put him in content because he realizes that his client is going to sue for more money. And I, I'm sorry. You won. Why couldn't you just leave? Uh, yeah, agreed. And that, that why, yeah. Why, why did you keep yelling? The, the, no one was forcing you to tell the truth at that point. What was going on to the point? Was that the curse? Are we supposed to assume or just his anger? I, yeah, that was another, just a poor choice that sort of trumped up more conflict, another obstacle for Fletcher to get around. And it felt like it was there so that they, that they could extend the runtime of the movie because it's so short as is. <laughs> they needed one more thing to get in the way so that Fletcher couldn't resolve the family situation. And it really seems like they could have done something differently, could have written different scenes that tried to continue to use this conceit where he's forced into telling the truth, but it doesn't put him in bogus situations like yelling and screaming at the end of his court battle. I agree with you there. That was a very frustrating moment in the movie. It, it, it feels like they're using this curse as a crutch. And, and that's not what I wanted. But do you have anything else to add on Liar Liar? Because that's that's kind of where... That's kind of the extent of where my discussion was centered on. Yeah, it's obviously not too deep of a movie, and it's still good to talk about comedies every now and again because... Comedies can be great. Comedies can be great, and Jim Carrey is one of the biggest stars of this time period, and so I'm, I'm glad that you chose it for our marathon here because it's it's good to look at a movie like this sometimes and think about why it does or doesn't work. I will say I, I was mildly positive on this movie. If you're a Jim Carrey fan especially, I'd recommend it, 
because there were definitely a few moments, especially earlier on as he's getting used to the curse, where I was truly laughing out loud watching this movie alone with nobody else's energy to, to build off of. I, I was cracking up and having a good time. Did you have any moments where you were actually laughing out loud, Christian? Like, do you have any, is there any part of you that recommends this or is this a, another regret? I, um, I, this is one of those where even if Jim Carrey's brand of comedy is not for me, I think he overdoes it. But for the people who really love Jim Carrey's brand of comedy, they probably would love this or at least love it to a certain extent. So I guess I would recommend along the same lines you do. I think that this is like a 50% movie. So that that's where I personally lie on. There you go. And who knows, maybe a different Tom Shadiak and Jim Carrey experiment would work better for you because uh, Shadiak directed the first Ace Ventura movie as well as Bruce Almighty, which you do like from what it sounds, uh, what it sounds like more than Liar Liar. And he made a few other comedies over the years. So shout out Tom Shadiak. I, I guess I don't really have too much to add on Liar Liar then, Christian. So it sounds like we are wrapping this here discussion up. But now it's time for clue number two. Now it's time for clue number two. Of course, listeners, we want to, do want to say Liar Liar is uh, streaming on Fubo TV, I think. Shout out to Fubo again. And it's rentable everywhere. We are, of course, moving on with our contest for the month of April. As a quick reminder, we are providing some hints to a movie title. And you have to guess what movie we are talking about. And if you are able to guess it, once all the hints are revealed... The first person to get it right, Christian and I are going to subsidize a trip to the movies for you. We'll reimburse a ticket for you as a thank you for listening and following along with our contest here. So, Christian, last week you gave the first hint, which I will not say again because we want you to go listen to the episode. Ha <laughs> ha, suckers. But now, Christian, you're going to provide the second hint for the movie of the month, which is... The second hint is that one of the cast members of this movie is also a sitcom star. Ooh, also a sitcom star. What could it be? So there's your second hint, listeners. If you are twiddling your thumbs, racking your brain, trying to think about what 1997 movie we could be talking about, you now have two clues to work with. And as a reminder, we will be checking the email and considering answers after all three clues have been given out. So stay tuned to next week's episode where you will get your third and final clue. Christian, that wraps up our show want to go ahead and tell the listeners what's coming next week even though we've already made that very clear on previous episodes titanic titanic <laughs> titanic is coming next week titanic one of the highest grossing movies of all time i think it's currently the third highest grossing movie of all time made over two billion dollars stars leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet written and directed by james cameron and we will be having Emily Baker on to discuss it with us. Let's go. Shout out to our good friend of the show, Emily Baker. You guys will remember her. You listeners out there will remember her from her appearances on some of our streaming recommendation episodes. We've talked horror movies with her. We've talked rom-coms with her. And now we're glad to have her on a full review episode. So Emily, if you're out there, thanks so much for joining us next week. We're looking forward to it. And I'm excited because this is crossing off one of the biggest blind spots of my movie-watching career, biggest in terms of just sheer bigness of the whole situation, as I have never seen Titanic. 26 years of life. I guess it's only been out for 
you know, 25 and a half of my years of life or 24 and a half of my years of life because I, I uh, came before Titanic, but <laughs> a movie that I've somehow missed up to this point. So I am very excited to finally get a chance to watch this and get to discuss it on the show for the, the good people of the Cinema Drip podcast. I'm still working on the, the nickname for our listeners, Christian, what we'll call them. Uh, we could call them the, the Beans. You know, we're, we're making blends for, for the beans ears. That, that doesn't really work if you if you bear out the metaphor. I I mean, I, I, I don't really hate that. It's interesting. They're I don't hu- okay. human beans, you know, <laughs> the human beans. No, 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 no. OK, um, <laughs> Scott, I want you here's here's what I want you to do. OK, as you watch Titanic, I want you to ask yourself, how did they do this? <laughs> Oh, Christian, I will ask myself that question. I'm sure I am a big fan of practical effects as listeners of the show know, and I'm looking forward to getting getting on the same uh, same wavelength with our guy Jim Cameron, seeing him what kind of crazy stuff he did. I, I've seen some of the you know, b- brief blips and glimpses of behind-the-scenes footage of this movie, and I know how much <laughs> work they had to do with like giant water tanks, which I look forward to unpacking next week. Love a giant water tank used for my movies. Uh, with that, that's that's it. That's our show. That is our show. And so, of course, if you are still listening at this point, that means you're a faithful listener and we sincerely appreciate you. Obviously, we love discussing these movies together and it means a lot that there are folks who are out there listening. So thank you so much to our listeners. As always, there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Really helps us reach new listeners there. And those five-star reviews just really warm my heart. So please leave us a a nice five-star review and give us a subscribe. You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And that is, of course, where you can submit your guests for the movie that we are talking about in terms of our contest for this month. But you can also provide feedback on the show. And, of course, we have had listener feedback featured on the show. It's figured into blends of the month that we've done. And people who've sent in feedback have literally ended up on this show before. So please do send us your thoughts. It helps us make a better show because we can talk about the things that you want to be listening to. So send us your email thoughts at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. And both Christian and myself are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Titanic is a three-hour and 15-minute movie. I recommend that you start at 10 a.m. <laughs> That's a good call. And I do want to quickly mention, it is currently streaming on Prime. So for all of you you good Amazon users out there, it is available with no extra charge on Prime, or you can rent it a million other places, I am sure. With that, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>